Welcome to Joyosity. I'm Jen Whitmer. I'm a speaker, consultant, and joy bringer, helping you create positive culture with complex people. Because listen, that's all we got. I'm thrilled you were here. So get yourself ready. Grab your multiple beverages, get your speaker, your headphones connected so we can dive in. True leadership requires more than just surface level strategies. It requires a profound connection to everything that makes us human. Each week, I have conversations with experts and leaders and you. If you're listening live, introduce yourself in the comments. Let us know where you are in the world and maybe what's in that mug on your desk. We're connecting as humans, remember? These conversations aren't just fun banter and information. Joyosity is so much more than a live show and a podcast. It's a movement, a space where we dare to explore the depths of our own hearts and minds, a liminal space where you are free to play around and beta test your own growth, sort of like a test kitchen lab for your leadership skills. It's where you discover that real joy has deep roots, a playground to find the hidden truths, the ideas waiting to be explored, and the untamed potential that lies within you. We're not just hanging out in idea land. We're talking about the best actions that develop you as a person and hone your skills as a leader. If you're an experienced leader or just starting out, Joyosity is the community for you. Join us every Monday live at 1 p.m. Eastern on LinkedIn and YouTube for a dose of inspiration and practical advice. Whether you are live in the comments or catching the podcast later, we're here to help you create a place where work is a joy, people are whole, and organizations flourish. Let's go. Good afternoon. Good morning. It is a special edition of Joyosity today at a bonus time. I am so glad that you are here on our first episode of the new year. Laura is here. A couple other people are on Instagram and YouTube. So glad. Please introduce yourself in the comments and let us know where you're coming in from this lovely afternoon. I am so excited to start the year with this conversation. I think that sometimes when we start to think about leadership and goal setting at the beginning of the year. We're like, what are these Q1 goals and what are we doing? And we forget the depth that who we are as humans. And that includes our emotional health and it includes who we are as spiritual beings. And so I really wanted to have this conversation at the beginning of the year. And I have invited Jordan Rayner to come on and talk about it with us because I know a few people who talk about this topic of how do we talk about our faith and spirituality and connect it to our work better than Jordan. He is a podcaster. He is an author. His new book, The Sacredness of Secular Work, is coming out in just a couple of weeks. And I am really wanting you to think and consider and just be curious about what could this look like. Now, while Jordan and I both share a faith tradition of Christianity, and that might not be your faith, that is okay, because I believe it is still so important for you to consider these questions. And so stick around and and just be open and curious, as we are on Joyosity, to this part of who we are as humans. And so I cannot wait to have this conversation with Jordan. So we are going to welcome him on the show today. Oh, hello. Hold on a quick second. Say it again. Hey, Jen. Thanks <laughs> for having me. 
Absolutely. I am so thrilled that you are here and taking the time to talk with us. Um, I always love to start. If you are um, not new to the show, you know that this is the way we begin, but I'd love for you to share a little bit about your story. How did you get to be doing this work to be an author and podcaster in, um, especially in this space about how you connect your faith and the connectedness of faith and work? Yeah. So I've spent most of my career as a tech entrepreneur. I still have a foot in that world. I serve as executive chairman of a large tech startup that I used to run as CEO. And it was after I was selling my second company, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next professionally, that everything changed for me. Mm. So when you exit two companies, the natural thing is to go start a third. So that was kind <laughs> of the plan. Um, but for a hot minute there, my wife and I were really praying about starting a church because I would go to church every Sunday feeling like a second-class Christian, feeling like I was on the JV team instead of varsity because I was going back to work on Monday as a tech entrepreneur and I wasn't working as a pastor or living in a mud hut 5,000 miles away from home mm -hmm. uh, as a full-time missionary. And so I'll never forget, I had um, – I had a, a godly mentor of mine pull me aside one day after church. He said, Hey, I think I heard you're thinking about playing at church. And I'm thinking this guy's going to pat me on the back, maybe write me my first check. And he just looks me dead in the eyes. He goes, yeah, I gotta be honest. That sounds really dumb for, <laughs> for you. I was like, what are you talking about? Wrecking? He goes, listen, Jordan, you're a talented entrepreneur. You served your customers and your team with excellence. Why do you think you have to plant a church to do ministry? Don't you get that your work is ministry? And I had no idea what he was talking about. Mm. And so he said, Hey, listen, I want you to do this. I want you to go read Genesis one and two, which I had read 500 times before, but he's like, with this conversation in the background of your mind, go read it. And what I saw changed my life forever. I saw that before God tells us that he is loving or holy or omnipotent, he tells us that he is a God who works, who creates. It's literally the first verb in the Bible in the beginning, God created. And long before Jesus hands down the great commission to make disciples, God in Genesis 1 gives us the first commission to make culture, to fill the earth and to subdue it, to simply make this world more useful for other human beings' benefit and enjoyment, which is exactly what our listeners do all day, every day as marketers, as entrepreneurs, as mechanics, as teachers, and as baristas. And once I saw that, I saw for the first time the intrinsic value of my work. I understood before that my work had instrumental value in that I could leverage my job as an entrepreneur to write a check to my church, or I could leverage my job to share my faith with other people. But that was the first time that I understood that the work itself mattered to God, that simply making great products and serving customers with excellence had intrinsic and eternal value. And that changed everything for me. It made me come alive fully Monday through Friday. And that's really what led me to this work in general and this book, The Sacredness of Secular Work specifically. I, there's so many pieces about your story that I think I just 
we could talk for hours and hours and hours, which is why you wrote a whole book about it. But I think that if you've ever grown up in any kind of faith community where the the first class people were the ones doing the quote unquote real work, I think there's lots of faith traditions that have that. I know that I have really experienced that. And I can remember one time, again, reading Genesis. So if you're if you're new to uh, the sacred scripture called the Bible, the first book is Genesis and it's about creation. And then there's this terrible tragedy that happens and we call it the fall. And that's when everything goes bad. But before that, there was work. Not only did God work, but Adam and Eve worked. That work is a part of who we are as humans and reflecting this image and, and, and bearing God's image. And that started to change things for me. So I have this very similar understanding of you and that part of our work in the world is to is to make culture, as you said, to make the wrong things right. And the work that I do around joyosity about creating positive culture with the complexities of who we are as people, that's what that's about. It's about creating deep peace in the world, about how we connect to one another, that that's a part of work and that we all need to do that. I can remember feeling very relieved when my husband decided he did not actually want to be an elder um, in the church. Like that wasn't actually his career path because it didn't feel quite right, even though it's great work. I love that, but it wasn't for us. And so I think that there's a lot of that mentality in the world of people who believe and they have faith, but they go to work as accountants and they're leading a team, you know, like you said, doing marketing and that it feels disconnected. So how do we start to intentionally make that connection? If this is like all new to you, if you're listening, you're like, oh my gosh, what work was before the fall and my faith can be a part of what I'm doing. Like the work itself is important. How do you start to help people make those connections? Yeah, I, I, I we, we got to start talking about the good news of Jesus, i.e. the also called the gospel, not in Genesis 3 like it's typically preached, but in Genesis 1. So if you walk into any Christian church today and you ask, hey, what is what is this good news I keep hearing about that Jesus <laughs> came to bring? It's going to sound something like this. Um, Jesus came to earth to save you and me from our sins. And every word of that statement is true, right? But it is tragically incomplete. I would argue it's an abridged version of the gospel that starts in Genesis 3 when death entered the world and human beings' souls were disconnected from God and ends at Easter when Jesus has forgiven us of our sins and if we put place our trust in him, has saved our souls, right? The problem is when you preach the gospel at Genesis 3 and end at Easter and you leave out Genesis 1 and Revelation 22, the opposite bookend of the Bible, right? <laughs> you talk a lot about what Jesus has saved us from, namely mm -hmm. sin and death, but it says nothing about what Jesus has saved us for, right? Yeah. And what yeah. he saved us for is when we look at Genesis 1 and we look at Revelation 22 is number one, first and foremost, to be with him as his children forever and ever. But also number two, to work with him forever and ever. Paradise of Genesis 1 was not a vacation, but an eternal vocation. And the same thing is true in Revelation 22. A lot of people think of heaven as this uh, amorphous, ethereal, disembodied existence in the clouds. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible <laughs> says that nobody will spend eternity in heaven, that ultimately heaven is here on earth just as it was in the very beginning of this drama, and that eternity here on earth is, again, 
not a vacation of endless harps and hammocks or whatever and hammocks, <laughs> but an eternal vocation of working with the one true God and being with him as his children forever and ever. So that's how we start. And, and when I am working with people, a lot of times when I'm talking about the beginning of how do you become a better leader, like leadership 101, we, I have to start with who are you? Yeah. Like, who are you? And um, some of that is this, when you're talking about our spirituality and our faith and in the way we see the world, it's like, who am I in reflecting the creator of the world? What is my one place? And one of the ways that when I'm working with believers, I'm talking about the fact that we collectively bear the image of God and I can't be everybody. Like I there is no way anyone should hire Jen Whitmer as an accountant. It would not be flourishing. It would not be good. It would not be good work. But somebody is really amazing at that. Yep. And so when you start starting to like figure out who am I yep. and what do I believe about the way the I am in the world, that is how we start to connect our work, the tasks that we do and the purpose that we have in the world to um, our spirituality and our faith. And I'm curious when you start thinking about what is the value of this work and, and how do I live aligned like that? What are some of the things that you think about people can explore? Like, what are some of the questions when you're like, okay, I know this is my purpose in life, in general, as you just talked about the gospel, mm -hmm. what, what are some of the nitty gritty things that we have to start thinking about? Cause I, again, Jen Wimmer should not be an accountant, put me on a stage, help people learn. I am there. That is where I'm going to shine. But how do you help people figure that out? What are some of the questions yeah. that you think about to connect that sacredness yeah. to the work that you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the question that the world encourages us to ask the most is what are you passionate about? And I think mm -hmm. it's a pretty poor question. I agree. <laughs> uh, mostly because my generation, the generation that comes after me, we've had more opportunities to do whatever makes us happy at work than any generation on record. And mm -hmm. Gallup tells us we're the least happy generation at work on mm -hmm. record. So clearly the passion hypothesis is incorrect. I think a much better question is what are you gifted at? Mm -hmm. Like where do you make other people feel joy? Yeah. In life. What, what is it that you do, whether it's playing a piece of music or building spreadsheets or whatever that brings a smile to other people's faces. Right. And as we lean into that and really hone that craft and master that craft, I think we find true sustainable joy in the work for ourselves. There's actually uh, a really brilliant researcher out of Yale named Dr. Amy Rezneski, who has spent her entire career studying this. She studied it across programmers, doctors, administrative assistants. What leads people to describe their work as a calling as opposed to a career or simply mm. a job? And the number one predictor is not whether or not they were passionate about the work before they started it. The <laughs> number one predictor of describing your work as a calling is the number of years you have spent practicing your craft. In other words, mm. passion and joy follow mastery, mm. not the other way around. We get to love what we do by getting really, really good at the sacred work that God has planted inside of our hearts. I was talking to my youngest this week. So we've got four kids. Um, three of them are musicians and our youngest plays two instruments. I 
started my career as a music teacher, so it was kind of forced upon them. Um, but there, <laughs> and I asked her, she played the viola and the piano. And I said, do you like playing the instruments that you play? And she said, I mean, I do. And I said, do you enjoy practicing? And we were there with her older brother, who's 19, who still plays the French horn. He's in college. And she's like, I don't like to practice, but I like the feeling of being able to do it. Yeah. And I was like, that's so wise. And so her yeah. brother starts talking about how he used to hate to practice and, but now he sees the value of it. And I think we forget that in our skills that we always feel awkward as a beginner. There's not a lot of necessarily fun in being a beginner, <laughs> but a lot of it comes from the practicing of it. And one of the questions that I like to ask, I love that. What are you gifted at? And I think some people have a hard time, even with that, even though it's a, such an excellent question, because they're kind of like, I, well, I don't know. I can do this. I can do that. But you I like can't to say, answer it alone. You cannot answer it alone. That's such a key. And like, what's that golden thread, as you said, that brings joy to other people and you feel joy at the same time? I think that's such a key part of that question because yeah. the production of fruit or, you know, like the good things that happen when you do your work where you feel really good about it and it produces good things in other people. I'm curious if you're listening, what is that for you? And it might not just be one thing. It doesn't have to be just one thing. You started as a tech entrepreneur. Yeah. You're really good at that. But that's not where you are now. So yeah. there's a connection, though, in that, in the way that you did that. Yeah, there's definitely a through line, right? And I think that's a really interesting way to think about it. Like, what's the golden thread that ties all these things together? Mm -hmm. I, it's funny. I actually don't see the work of the work that I do today as an author as different really mm -hmm. at all from the work I did as a tech entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, I, I think the medium in which the products I create has changed, right? Whereas formerly it was software and now it's content, <laughs> yeah. but it's all the same craft of entrepreneurship. It is yeah. spotting a gap in a market, building a product to bridge that gap and setting up systems to ensure the product can sell without you forever and ever, right? It's the same thing. It's applied <laughs> in a different direction. And so I love that through line question. I think it's a really good one, Jen. Well, I love the way that you have sought, like you, like you can see that for yourself, like, yeah. oh, this is what it is. And it took me a while to figure that out for, for me, because I started as, as a music teacher, you know, what's the through line now to standing on stages talking about conflict resolution, but it is a lot about how do we create joy in the world by working together? Yeah. You know, yeah. what does that look like? And it looked like that in a music classroom. It looked like that when I was a grad assistant, when I was a school leader and now doing what I do because I think work should be a joy that yeah. because it happened before, like before the fall, work should be a joy. And it, uh, I mean, it doesn't mean it's not hard all the time, but back to that practice idea, mastery does not come without difficulty. Correct. And that's when the joy comes. So I would love for you to share, like when you're thinking about the, the way that people work into the world, um, how do they deal with, how do you help them deal with that kind of, mm, it's not good enough work. This is just, it's easy for me. So it, it must not matter. Do you ever, do people ever say that to you? Uh, not, I don't hear it articulate exactly like that. What I hear is, um, uh, I'm thinking about my friend Chassie, who's a hairdresser who for mm. years felt like, man, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. What? <laughs> use is there in styling people's hair? Like, shouldn't I be doing something more meaningful with my life? Like, I don't know, prosecuting human traffickers or whatever. <laughs> and it's one of the things I love most 
about the one true God who has revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ in the Bible. You know, it, all throughout scripture, this God shows that he values work way beyond its usefulness. In the book of Revelation, John describes the foundations of this city that God has built called the New Jerusalem as being decorated, quote, with every kind of precious stone. And we know from elsewhere in Revelation, that's 5,600 miles of emeralds, rubies, and other gems that we see in Revelation chapter 21. What purpose does 5,600 miles of ever lovely jewels serve? My guess is none. And that's the point because utility is not the primary reason for God's action. God creates, yes, for utility, function, and purpose, but he also creates for the pure joy of making something great yeah. in the world. And I think that frees us. It frees my friend Chassie to lean into her work as a hairdresser and a cosmetologist just to make beautiful things because, as you point out, Jen, she is made in the image. She is made, created to reflect the image of a God who works to fix things in the world, yes, but also just for the pure joy of bringing beautiful things to bear on mm -hmm. earth. I think especially in America. So as a, so one of the personality frameworks I use the most is the Enneagram. And one of the things about the Enneagram is like the motivation about why we do what we do. And I always feel like the, the United States is like this big Enneagram three culture. Yep. I got to hustle for my worth. If I'm not productive, then I don't have any value. And I think we get caught in that trap a lot. And the way you're describing this and the way we're thinking about this is that your work is valuable because it reflects something different, not just because it's utilitarian purpose. It, yeah. it doesn't have to accomplish an ROI at the end. This is what makes Christianity distinct from every religion in the world, <laughs> in my opinion, and what we see in the Bible. Christianity is the only religion in the world where you get the verdict for your life you get the applause before the performance, mm -hmm. right? If, if, if I believe what the Bible teaches that Jesus, God himself died for me when I was his quote unquote enemy, that's what scripture says. Then I can certainly believe that he loves me on my most and my least productive day in the office. And that is is something truly life-changing, especially for Enneagram 3 performers <laughs> like me, maybe like yourself, Jen, here in the West, because the world tells us we have to keep achieving, achieving, achieving in order to feel a sense of worth. Yeah. Christianity says, I achieve and achieve and achieve not to get something from the work that, frankly, the work can never ultimately satisfy. I do it as a response of worship from the perfect applause that is secured by the nail-scarred hands of one person, Jesus Christ. And that's one of the things that I, I think like you're talking about, it's such a freedom. If I'm not hustling for my worth, um, I can learn. I can have a bad day. Yes. I can try something new. I can get curious about something. I, all of those things are now so much more available to me. And I can breathe a little easier. Yeah, you have nothing to lose. Prove it. You have yeah. nothing to lose. No. It, it, I, this, is, this is the irony. Christians who really understand this are actually, in my experience, the most ambitious people in the world. <laughs> They're taking the biggest swings in the world. Why? 
because they know whether or not they hit a grand slam or strike out, they still have the perfect unconditional love of God yeah. applauding them in the stands. Not for God doesn't applaud us for achievement. He applauds us for suiting up, right? <laughs> and that changes everything and enables me to risk and fail and even be transparent to the world about those failures because at the end of the day, I have nothing to lose because I have Jesus Christ. Yeah. So I am like, oh my gosh, I want to keep talking. I have so many more questions. <laughs> I want to hear your thoughts on so many things, but we have to wrap up. Um, and so if you are listening uh, and you're like, oh, I want more too, please connect with Jordan. He, uh, I'm going to let him tell you where to connect, but I'm just going to say it right now. Um, so one of the things before we end, you've got this great new book out. Let's see. It's right there. It's coming out in a couple of weeks. You can pre-order it there. Um, or if you're catching this later, go order it then. And I, I just, so as we're parting, what would be, you know, how can people connect with you and continue to connect with your work and a question that you might leave them with to consider? Yeah. So the first question is easy. You can find tons of free content from me as well as links to the sacredness of secular work at jordanrainer.com. Uh, we're actually giving away this insane trip to France right now. If you order the book before February 3rd, that's like nuts. And you're like, <laughs> why France? What does that have to do with the sacredness of secular work? Go to jordanrainer.com. <laughs> now um, we're all curious and running there. Wait to the end guys. Just wait. To yeah. The end. <laughs> yeah. Here's, here's a question I would leave you with Psalm 37, 23 says that the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. In other words, God doesn't just delight in watching you write a check to your church. He doesn't just delight in watching you share your faith with others. He delights in anything you do in a godly way, in accordance with his command. So my question is, What's on your to-do list for the rest of the day? Even the material, unspiritual tasks. And what would it look like to do those things in a godly way, knowing that the way you do that work is literally contributing to the eternal pleasure of God? That's what I would I would ask you to sit with for a few minutes. Such a great question. Uh Thank you so much for being here today. If you are listening and you're like, wait, I, this is not who I am. I just want you to sit with it for a little bit. Thank you for sticking around and just listening. Get curious about it for yourself. And I love that idea of looking at your to-do list for the rest of today. It's just really, really good. This whole month, we're really talking about values and who we are. And this is such a key piece of that. I'm so grateful that you could kick us off next week. Frank Petito and I are going to talk a little bit about mindset and how you explore that with your values. And uh, we are usually here live every week at Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern. So thank you for doing a special time for us. I really, really appreciate My it. My pleasure. All right, everybody, we have to head out, but thanks for listening and we will see you next week. Bye. So let me put my coach hat on for just a sec. Don't just leave this here. Take a moment. What did you learn? What's your next tiny action step? Share this episode with someone and tell them. Connect with us to keep this conversation going. 
As always, I'm Jen Whitmer. Thank you for listening to Joyosity. I don't take for granted that your earballs have a lot of information coming at you. Please take a moment to rate and subscribe. It really helps more people join us in creating positive culture with complex people. So work is a joy, people are whole, and organizations flourish. Can't wait for you to join us next week.